Let's pray. God, we're grateful that um, that even though um, under the sun, on this uh, rock called earth, God, that it's uh, full of beauty, uh, but it's also full of trouble, that we can um, set our hope and our eyes um, on the hope of eternity and hang on to the promise that, um, that we have been born again to a living hope to an inheritance that will never perish, it's undefiled, it's being kept for us in heaven, and we're being kept here, we're being guarded, uh, that there's nothing that can happen to your children. And um, Lord, thank you that you've given us your spirit as a reminder that we belong to you, that you've given us your spirit as a reminder that we have uh, gifts that are to be used for your glory, praise, and honor, and for the good of the church, for the good of others. And uh, God, I just pray that you would... Um, Use me this morning, God. Use the, uh, uh, just establish the work of my hands over the last couple of days, God. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored and that the body would be built up and edified. We love you. We give you all the praise and glory for what you're going to do today and, and the rest of this weekend. God's people said, amen. Good morning. So as um, I think they reminded you, we, we are in the uh, second week of a three-week sermon series called The Blessedness possessing nothing. And um, we're talking about stewardship. Last week was stewardship of time. If you missed that sermon, I would encourage you to go to the website and um, listen in. And I had one lady run into me at Coffee House 29. She said, man, that was a great sermon. She said, but it was depressing. Um, it, it can be depressing when we are called to number our days, when we are we take an account of how short life is. But the, 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 the purpose of numbering our days is so that we can live our lives to the fullest for God's glory and for the good of other people. Uh, today we're going to talk about the stewardship of our talents or our spiritual gifts, if you will. And then next week we'll talk about our treasures, um, stewarding our treasures. Um, so this week, unlike last week, uh, we're going to launch from a particular verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So I would encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, uh, to open up to that. Um, we'll be hitting a bunch of different uh, scriptures as well, but that'll kind of be our, our home base. Um, we decided to do this uh, sermon series on stewardship as a reminder that the earth and all that is in it belongs to the Lord, uh, that it all belongs to him. Uh, we are sim simply um, renters. Uh, he is the great landlord. But he does give us good gifts to enjoy and, um, and to steward for his glory and for the good of others. Um, but there actually is blessedness in being reminded that we own nothing. Um, we, can, we can loosen our grip on the things that God has given us to steward because ultimately he's responsible for all of it. Um, he's just called us to be faithful stewards, to recognize that every good and perfect gift that comes down from him is ultimately to be turned back to him for his praise and glory and honor, and to be used, time, talents, treasure, for the good of others. And as I already mentioned, we titled this sermon series, A Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And when we truly live and act as stewards rather than, honor, than owners, we're going to find more joy. Uh, we're going to find more joy and peace, and God's going to receive more glory, and other people are going to be more built up and edified. Stewardship. Definition. It's, it's being entrusted with the care or management of something or someone that belongs to another. Key, underline, that belongs to another. Um, doesn't belong to us. Biblical stewardship is managing and utilizing all the resources God provides, that he provides, 
using them, utilizing them for his glory, the good of others, humanity, and for the joy of the manager, you and me. It's for when we steward them properly, it's not only, not only does God give the glory and not only are other people built up, but we find maximum joy in stewarding them and using them and not just, not just sitting on them. The gospel informs our entire life. The gospel reminds us that we possess nothing, but we are forever possessed by the one who created us to be loved by him. In this reality, there is great peace and joy, and we can, we can only live as biblical stewards when we understand the gospel, when we understand what God has accomplished through the, death, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The, ticket, the gospel is more than a ticket to heaven. It should, in, it should inform uh, the way that we see everything um, in this life, our time, our talents, and our treasure. Every good gift is from the Lord, including our next breath. We're stewards of these gifts until God requires them from us when he returns or when he calls us home. So last week we talked about the stewardship of time and the practice of numbering our days and letting God's purposes inform our plans. And I want to just talk about that from a high level. What does it mean to have God's purposes inform our plans? So, so it says uh, earlier in 1 Peter that we have been made a possession of God, that we're his possession, that we're, we're, we're priests, and that he, is, he has not just um, saved us um, from our sin to be with him one day in perfection, in glory, but he has called us into a relationship with him now, and he's called us into a relationship with his church and his mission. So his overarching purpose is not just to be saved, to wait for eternity one day, but is to engage in the local church. So the question that I asked last week, and I want to make sure you got it, is that his overarching purpose is so that you would be his prized possession. And his prized possession belonged to one another. You belong to each other. We're not separate. We're together. And so, so as you make plans, as you plan your calendar and set your appointments, think in the context of where the local church fits in that priority as you make, as you make plans. So today we're going to talk about the stewardship of our talents or our gifts, if you will, that God has graciously endowed every one of us with. And I want to start with this phrase, God endows us with gifts to fulfill the purpose he intends to engender the praise that he deserves. God endows us with gifts to fulfill the purpose he intends to engender the praise that he deserves. And we're going to see two, uh, we're going to see uh, that his purpose is twofold. In my notes it says twofold, uh, like twofold, twofold, and that's serving God, excuse me, glorifying God and serving others. The purpose of our gifts can be summed up in glorifying God and serving others. So 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. We, gotta, we need to have context first, and in the verses that immediately precede this text in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, we can derive some context from, from, uh, to help us today. Peter writes that those who've been born again should no longer live for their human passions. What are our human passions? It's simply wanting to do our will rather than God's will. He writes that those who are born again should no longer do their will, but, but do God's will. And before, before they knew Jesus, they lived for the will of man. We all did before we knew Jesus. But now, as people possessed by God, they are to live for the will of God. 
Um, and we are going to read 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Would you stand with me while I read this, please? It'll be on the screen. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. God's people said, amen. Please be seated. In this passage, Peter reminds us that the nature reminds us of the nature of the times in which he lived, which is the nature of the times in which we live. It hasn't changed. The end of all things is at hand. He's not an apostle of doom and gloom. In fact, Paul, uh, uh, Peter is known as the apostle of hope. He isn't. He isn't heralding an unaltered reign of darkness, but he is heralding an eternal reign of the risen and ascended Christ. What he's saying is that everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament concerning the promised Messiah is in place. It's all happened. Therefore, Jesus can return at any time to make all things new. Jesus' incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father means that the, set, the stage is set for Jesus' final act to come and to make all things new. The hope of the apostle is our same hope. The end of all things is at hand. He's coming again. Therefore, he says, in the middle of verse 7, Therefore, he's coming back. Therefore, live this way, church. This is a message for the redeemed, for those who have been accepted by the Father through faith in the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of our sins. Peter is going to present four things that we should embrace, four marks, if you will, to govern our, lights, uh, govern our lives in light of the end. Since the end is at hand, we should do these four things. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Verse 7. Show earnest love to one another. This is in the context of the local church. Verse 8. Show hospitality. Verse 9. Serve one another. Verse 10 and 11. And the last verse of our text at the end of verse 11 summarizes the overarching purpose of these four admonitions. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So the goal of this sermon, this, this topical sermon, the goal is to bring light to what the Word of God has to say about stewarding our talents, our spiritual gifts. With that in mind, I'll cover verses 7 through 9 at a, at a high level, and hopefully I'll spend more time in verses 10 and 11, which talk more about our talents, our spiritual gifts. So the, the first mark to embrace is to be self-controlled and sober-minded. And what's the, what's the opposite of, of being um, self-controlled and sober-minded? Uh, the opposite of that would be is that we're just we're living loosely. We're living with no plan. We're, living, uh, we're not living in light of eternity. We're living in light of today. The, the imminent arrival of the end is not a call to simply gaze into heaven and wait for Jesus' return. That's, that's lacking control. 
Um, that's um, not being sober-minded. Instead, believers would be self-controlled and sober-minded so that we may be devoted to prayer and to maximize our usefulness in God's kingdom. Remember, this is, this is written for people who know Jesus. And I want to remind you over and over again that we work out of our acceptance, what? Not for our acceptance. That we are, we're left here to build his kingdom, to bring glory to God and to edify other people by stewarding our time and our talents and our treasure. But we do it by the reality that we are accepted fully. There's nothing, less for, there's nothing for us to earn. Jesus said on the cross, what? It is finished. And because it's finished, we can work. So when we live as if our lives belong to ourselves, and in such a way that this is our forever home, we will not have an eternal perspective. And this will have an impact on the way that we live our lives. Um, verse 8, I'm going to spend more time on this. Uh, love one another. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is concerned about the quality and sincerity of love in the body. He's concerned about the quality and sincerity of love between the brothers and the sisters. Loving earnestly is what he says. Loving one another earnestly is from the Greek word that describes the strenuous, outstretched activity of an athlete. Leaning into the tape. Bursting out of the, of the blocks. Um, exploding over the bar. For those of you who lift weights, um, a clean and jerk, exploding up. That's what, he's, that's what he's describing here. It's the outstretched activity of an athlete. It's not describing something soft or primarily emotive, like kumbaya. It's actually love in action. It's not the type of love that moves only when one feels like loving another either. It's a love that is motivated by the love of Christ, and it's a primary characteristic of followers of Jesus Christ. This kind of love, this earnest love, this, this stretching towards one another loving cannot be absent in a healthy church. It's agape love. C.S. Lewis calls it the, it's called give love. That we, we give love to one another expecting nothing in return. We give to one another even when um, love is not deserved. The apostle of love, John, talks a lot about this in 1 John chapter 4. Let me read verses 7 through 12. Beloved. Did you know that's your name? Beloved. That's what God thinks of you. Beloved. No matter what your morning was like or yesterday was like or your wrong thoughts yesterday, you're his beloved. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation simply means that Jesus um, made a satisfactory uh, sacrifice that he appeased the wrath of God so that we will never have to drink from God's wrath. Verse 11, beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The love of God is an active and earnest love. It's up close and personal that he came and dwelt with us, that he lived the perfect life. And he went to the cross 
with his beloved in mind. This kind of earnest love is not words alone, but it's giving ourselves for the sake of others, even and especially when they're not deserving. We love others because God first loved us. We are children of love. That fits me well as a hippie from the 70s. Listen to Paul's encouragement to the church in Colossae. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, beloved, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And he describes all the different uh, people in the church. There, here there's no, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, as his beloved, holy and beloved, uh, compassionate hearts, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, above kindness and humility, meekness and patience, above bearing with one another, above all these, put on love with bonds, everything together. It's like you're putting all these garments on. You're going out for a cold day, and you put on that last parka, and you wrap it up. You wrap all the others up. That is love. We put on love, which binds everything else together in perfect harmony. Active, confessing, forgiving, and serving love preserves unity in the body of Christ and covers a multitude of sins. However, it does not excuse our sin. We don't just wink at one another's sin. But it does enable forgiveness. When love covers a multitude of sin, it does what 1 Corinthians 13 lays out. And can I um, take no offense on this because I haven't seen your wedding videos, but like this verse wasn't written for marriages. It was written for the body of Christ. It applies to marriages at some level, but it's for the body of Christ. Listen to this. If I speak in tongues, in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm just making a lot of noise. I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophet, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, if I can, if I can, if I can preach and I've, got, and I've got the spiritual gift of, 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 of preaching and prophecy and um, speaking words of wisdom, and I have all the faith to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, you have the gift of giving, and I deliver up my body to be burned. You're a martyr, but you have not love. You gain nothing. So in verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Hospitality. What's that doing in here? Right in the middle of, of love and gifts. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The Greek word for hospitality is to love strangers. That's, 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 the, that's the genesis of of that word. In Peter's day, love included opening one's home and caring for Christians that were sojourning through town, that were coming through town and had no place to say, stay. Love, as we've already mentioned, is intensely practical. It's not just emotional. And hospitality is love in action. 
Hospitality is something Christians are called to practice regardless of the size of our home or the size of our bank account. Jesus was hospitable and he had no job and he had no home. Hospitality is more about the heart than the home and it doesn't necessarily need to take place around a table. It's motivated by selfless love for others and can be given with a smile or empathetic tears or an encouraging word. While hospitality is more about the heart than the home, it's still often felt over food. One of the beautiful mysteries of Jesus is that he was fully human and he was fully God. And he ate. And he ate with people. Oftentimes. In the scriptures we read We read of Jesus, the man who had no place to lay his head, providing the best wine, feeding the thousands, and preparing breakfast for his disciples after he victoriously rose again from the dead. I don't know who Ashley Hales is, but I found this quote that beautifully describes Jesus' hospitality. I hope she's a Christian. I'm pretty sure she is. Like a king and a host, he prepares a table in the wilderness. Like a priest, he offers the pure, unspotted lamb on behalf of the people of God for forgiveness of sins and restoration with God. <clears throat> Excuse me, with God. Like a host, he rains down provision in the desert, nearness when we're lonely, welcome when we do not deserve it. However, he's not only the host, he is also the offering, the food the host offers to undeserving gifts. Because of his great love, Jesus, the host, offered himself so that we could feast with him for all eternity, beloved. I've been in Nigeria, I think, five times. Nancy's gone with me twice, and they know hospitality. We've been in many homes there where they are serving their best food, and they have swept off the cement or dirt floor in their house that we sit on, and they prepare a meal that's special just for us. These African saints have nothing, yet they know they've been given everything. So they sacrifice their nothing in order to share the love of Christ through hospitality. Over the years, Nancy and me have strived to have an open home. And for many years, we've had people living with us. We've had people that have been in various stages of transition. And there's sometimes it's like, doggone it, like I wish I could just have my house to myself. But more times than not, it was a blessing to us. It was a blessing to our kids. Except for the hair in the drain lady. Like, she was great, but she left us, like, with a plugged-up bathtub, and, like, we had to, like, like pull out, like, three feet of hair out of this. Like, (laughs) hallelujah. (laughs) Well, I said we. She did it. (laughs) I was, like, dry even. I was, like... You know, we have many new people at WCC. And praise be to God, this place is starting to fill up again after the pandemic. And um, those of you that are new uh, since the pandemic, over the pandemic, we're glad to have you. And uh, we're glad to be that you're part of this body. And um, I pray that you would just sense the Spirit of God working here uh, in many ways um, through the people of God. And um, I can't wait to see how the Spirit of God is going to work through you to build up the people of God. There's, so there are many new people that are new that aren't connected yet. There's also many of you who have been here for a while that don't know each other. 
Um, and we're not a big church, but we're big enough where it's hard to know everybody in two services. Um, so um, I would assume that most of you eat lunch on Sunday. I want to just give you a tip here. It's something that we used to do all the time, and we haven't done it in years, quite frankly. And I'm convicted, and I'm compelled, um, and I'm motivated. Um, but before you go to church on Sunday, before you come here, um, ladies, guys, if you cook, put on a, put on a pot, Instapot, Crock-Pot, soup, Instapot. Put some food in it um, so that it's ready when you get back home. And on your way to church, pray, God, who is it? Who's the divine appointment that you would like us to invite over today? And then, um, and then invite them. And then when they ask you what you're having and, and then they decline the invitation, don't get your feelings hurt. Cook, cook something everybody likes, not split pea soup or something like that. But try that. I feel like this, this church, like particularly the, in the, during the pandemic, like we, we have, we've lost our hospitality, our hospitable muscles. They've, they've atrophied. And it's not just um, your fault or my fault. It's like we couldn't invite people into our homes. So we got out of the habit. So let's get back into the habit um, and start inviting them. Maybe, maybe even today. Um, maybe you don't have something on, but like um, invite somebody and ask them if they would pay for your lunch at Solitai. Let's, let's see how that works out. Jesus displayed a generous hospitality through his life, and he promises to do that forevermore. Because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we belong to Jesus. We're his beloved. We're his prized possessions. And we get to be those whose lives beg others to come. Listen to these words that I've never seen these words this way in Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Come and eat. Come and feast. And then the one who hears, that's you, says, come to others, come. Let the one who is thirsty and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life, that Jesus has called us to come. So, and we'll be at his table one day. And we'll be feasting on all his goodness for all of eternity. And hospitality is a picture of that today that he's beckoned us to come and we can, we can beckon others to come and have a meal with us and hear their story and tell our story and build them up for God's glory and the other people's good. Because we live in the time, you're going to go, when are we ever going to get the spiritual gifts? Uh, because we live in the time when the end of all things is near, some activities are critical. Loving people. Hospitality. And exercising our spiritual gifts, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong be glory and dominion forever and ever. Um, what is this gift? What is this gift uh, Peter calls Christians to steward by using it to serve one another? The Greek word for gift here is charis. It is grace. Thus Peter links our stewardship of gifts with the nature of God's gracious and spirit-directed kingdom. As each has received, let me read it another way, as each has received a grace, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. These gifts are a means in which, God's, which God graces our lives with a supernatural ability to grace and serve others. He's given you everything you need to build up others. 
He has graced us with gifts in order for us to distribute his grace to other people. That's massive. What a privilege that we get to be conduits of God's grace to others. And we can only do that when we turn on the spigot and use our grace gifts to pour God's grace on others. Your life, believer, your life, beloved, is so important and has such great purpose that God has cried his, he's tied his very grace to you by allowing you be, to be an instrument of his grace to other people. And we do that primarily by exercising our spiritual gift. And these gifts are rightly called spiritual gifts because they're given by and empowered by the Spirit. They're a manifestation of the Spirit of God working in the life of the Christian for the good of others and the glory of God. Listen to what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Don't miss this, verse 7. To each, every believer, everyone that's been um, born again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What's the manifestation of the Spirit? It's the Spirit of God showing up in your life to be able to bring glory to God and to build up other people. Our gifts are given by the triune God and empowered by the Spirit of God. It's how he shows up. It's, it's one of the primary, way, primary ways, ways that we see the Holy Spirit working in this body. If, you, if we want to pray, Holy Spirit, uh, please show up. Well, here's the deal. He's here, and he's in you, and he's in me. And if we want to see evidence of the Holy Spirit working, it's us working by the power of the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has received one or more spiritual gifts. And no Christian has received all the spiritual gifts. They'd be hard to live with. Jesus is the only one that has all the gifts. Peter tells us in verse 10, chapter 4, that we are stewards of God's very grace of the varied gifts in the body. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, that there are varieties of gifts or grace in the body. Variety is, is multicolored. It's like a rainbow. That when they're all together, it makes it more beautiful. When you just take like one strand of blue out of the rainbow and, and, rainbow and hang it up there, like you confuse it for pollution. Like it's, it's all the colors together that makes it beautiful. The whole is greater than the individual parts. The notion of individualistic Christianity is not biblical. Spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit of God to the church for the glory of God and for the good of his people. I want to I key in on Peter's admonition in the, in the middle of verse 10. Use it. Use what? Use the gifts that he's given you to serve one another. I'm notorious for asking like people, like, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? Like Amazon. I'll take an Amazon card. Like, you can get anything on Amazon. Like, I'm saving for a Tesla right now on Amazon. But here's the deal. Like, my birthday was August. Like, she's, like, she's still pulling Amazon, Amazon cards out of my birthday cards. And, and I've, got, I've got a stack of birthday cards. I think some are on the kitchen sink. Some are in my glove box in my car. I don't know where the others are. But I keep them for months before I use them. But in order for me to realize the heart of the one who gave it to me, I need to actually use them. 
And I think I, I hang on to these cards because I'm not sure what I want and how to best steward these gifts. I'm all over the place. It's one of the problems with Amazon. If you just have an In-N-Out burger card, you just like, I'm all the burger. And you use it when you go down there. So, so I want to I key in on the importance of using your gifts. But first we need to know what the gifts we have are before we use them. Correct? We got to know what our gifts are. Well, maybe, maybe not. Not so fast, grasshopper. The Bible names many of the spiritual gifts that God has endowed his body with. He talks about them in Romans 12, 6 through 8, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and Ephesians 4, 11. Uh, Rome, if you want to read those, uh, Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 8 through 10, and Ephesians 4 through 11. I don't believe these, these lists are exhaust, exhaustive, but they're certainly helpful. So what are my gifts? What are your gifts? How do you find out? If you've taken biblical convictions, how many of you have taken biblical convictions in the last five to six years? Raise your hands high. Okay, so if you've done that, you've taken a spiritual gift um, inventory or survey, right, or test. Um, so I kind of geek out on stuff like that. I, I like um, surveys and personality tests. I, like I'm one of those guys. But I also know that there were no surveys when Peter wrote this or Paul wrote this, when he said that we, need, that we have spiritual gifts. So, so use tools like that as, um, as God's common grace, but not as thus saith the Lord. Like if you come out as an um, administrator, number one, um, and you don't know how to work Google Drive, um, you're probably not an administrator. I don't know if that's true or not. It, yeah. um, but t- today anyways. So, so those gifts, th- those tools... Um, can be helpful. And if you have been, if you've taken that test through WCC, um, you can find, you can go to Realm. I don't know if you know that. Go to your profile and you can see your top three gifts um, if you need to be reminded of that. I think that would be helpful. Here's perhaps a better way to discover your, discover your gift. Think of that thing that you do well, that others appreciate, and you think nothing of. Think of that thing that you do well, that others appreciate, they feel built up by you, but you don't think much of it. If it's a spiritual gift, others will appreciate it and will be edified by it. They'll be, they'll be built up. And I would add this, that it's not just a one-time edification, but are people continually edified by you stepping into a particular area of speaking or serving? He says, whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I think this is a helpful place to start. You bring more edification to people by through your speaking, through your words, or more edification through your service. I really like what I mean. It's, it's so helpful what Peter does here. I think it's actually more helpful than um, what Paul does in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are helpful because they're it's true and it's inspired. But like, start with two broad categories. Like, are people more edified by my speaking, or are they more edified by my serving? And then start breaking it down from there. And we need to help one another because some of us are deceived. Um, and um, when, when somebody uses their gift, um, whatever the gift is, wherever it is, um, whether it be uh, up on this platform, whether it be in children's, whether it be um, just giving you an encouraging word, 
Um, maybe they, 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 they have empathy, they're merciful. Encourage them. Encourage them and say, like, I, thank you so much. I've seen this gift in you. I've seen you be merciful and, and empathetic. Um, I've seen you, like, drop and pray with me whenever I've had an issue. Like, there's a, there's a couple in this body, I won't even point them out, but just, just came to mind that there's been a couple of times where I've shared something with them, and like immediately, they pray with me. Wow, there, there's somebody that has, I don't know even how to define that gift. It's a gift of encouragement. It's a gift of prayer. Uh, it's a gift of, of empathy, compassion. Um, but I, and I affirm them on that. Um, I hope they remember that. But in the same way, let's not falsely encourage. I feel like we live in a culture, um, and I don't really like, not this culture here, but like this, just the general Christian culture. Like we want, to, we want to bring false encouragement to people. And we shouldn't say like, oh, that was a horrible job. Like you stink. You shouldn't do that again. But how can we, um, like when we see somebody serving in a particular area, and we go like, there's like, man, that was, that was I, I had, a, uh, <clears throat> I had a, uh, a manager when I first started in the brokerage business that said, um, I said, don't, don't teach a pig to sing. Um, it sounds horrible, and it makes a pig mad. Um, I don't even fully know what that means, but that's like, <laughs> but it's like it marked me. I don't remember much else from that guy, but that was a, that was 30 years ago. But, but like when you when you see somebody, like don't falsely encourage them. Like help them get into a place. Say maybe thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Like there's a guy in this body that calls me faithful Dan. I go like, was he telling me that because I stink? Like, that's like I'm faithful? Maybe, I don't know. Um, but I, I hope you would tell me that, uh, that, that I stink um, in, in an edifying kind of way, if you can do that. Um, but here's the deal. Pray for the person. Like, Lord, like, here's this person that is serving in this way. And God, um, thank you for the way you're using them, even by your grace. But God, would you help them um, be in a place where they can just run in their gifts, where the body can be, uh, find greater edification and you can find greater glory. So this is a, this is a group project. This is a church project. Uh, project. We do this for one another. Additionally, when you wake up each morning, pray that the Lord would show you how you can serve and build up the body today, and then do it. Serve, and see if that's your gift. The best way to find out is to do it, and give yourself to it gladly. Our gifts are from God, our gifts are for God, and our gifts are empowered by God. They're from God, they're for God, and they're empowered by God. Our speaking gifts are used to speak His words, like we all have opinions, but when we, if we have a platform, whether it be up here, whether it be in a community group setting, um, whether you just like to talk, um, share God's opinion before you share your opinion. Our serving gifts are to be used in the strength of the Lord. Serving in the strength of the Lord acknowledges the weakness of me and the strength of he. We can all serve on our own strength for a period of time. Remember, he has given gifts to the church so that the body might be made complete. So don't simply pray that the Lord would show you your gift, but pray that the Lord would provide people in this body with gifting that is missing in this body. Have you ever thought about it from that standpoint? Like, look at the body. What's missing? What's missing? Like, don't just leave this church. Next time there's something missing that the other church down the road has. Pray. Because chances are there's somebody in this body that has that gift that you see missing, and they're just not exercising that gift. Or pray that the Lord would bring somebody else in. 
an overarching principle is that Jesus came what? Not to be served, but to serve and lay his life down as a ransom for many. And praise God that we're recipients of that servitude. And we're also ones who are motivated by his love to serve others in that way. One of the greatest hindrances in the church of Jesus Christ today is a belief that only missionaries and pastors are given gifts to be used in serving the church, to be done by the professionals. One of the primary tasks of the leaders in the church, Paul says in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So my prayer is that's what we're doing today and that we do that week by week. It's our job to instruct and train the church on the beauty of the body when we're working together in our unique giftedness for the glory of God and for the good of one another. Many people in this church are serving. Many people. I'm so proud of this church. I praise God for the people that he's brought in, the way that people are serving. I mean, there's new people that are coming in, taking biblical convictions, and jumping into the trenches. And I praise God for that. But there are still some who are not serving. Maybe they don't feel like they're needed. Maybe they don't feel like they have the time. Maybe you don't understand what your gift is. But I want to encourage you just to jump in and help each of us build up the body and bring God glory. This church has three elders and I think about eight staff, full and part-time staff. But this church has a couple of hundred ministers, a couple of hundred servants. There's a, um, and I'm going to close on this. There's been times, and by the way, I just want to give a shout out to the people behind the scenes upstairs and uh, the worship team. Like they, these guys, they got my, like anything that's been on the screen, I hope there's been stuff on the screen. They pretty much got that from me this morning, about seven, because I've been working on it since four this morning. And there's just people that serve behind the scenes that, that without them serving behind the scenes, uh, we wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't be able to do this. Uh, but I was, I was listening to a, one of our videos um, a couple of months back, and all you could hear is one of the instruments. And then another time you could just hear one of the singers. And I know like how, how all this stuff works together up here to, give, to make a joyful noise. But sometimes when it's just, especially when it's just the drums, it's definitely a noise. Um, and it's joyful at sometimes. Um, but when you get one voice that is uh, supposed to be in harmony and whatnot, because um, you can't hear the other voices, it doesn't sound quite as good. There's a song that we used to sing um, in uh, the spiritual sport of rugby. And um, it would go something like this. It would say, we'd go like, I am, the, I am the piccolo. And everybody else would go, I am the piccolo. What is your sound? They would say back, and I'd go, pica, pica, piccolo. Pika, 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 low. And then another one go, another guy go, I am the tuba. And everybody go, what is your sound? And you go, oompa, 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 pa, oompa. And then we do the snare drum. We go, I am the snare drum. What is your sound? Rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat-tat. And then, and, then, and then we do it all, and the, the pika, 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 low, and then the tuba joins in, and they all join in. It still, still sounds horrible because a bunch of rugby guys in, like, short shorts and high socks back in the 80s but this is, the, this is the picture, is what is your gift? My gift is administration. 
administer, administer, administration. But when it's, when it's all working together, it's going downhill fast, and we're getting into the sermon. Here's the deal. If you're not serving, or you'd like to serve in other places, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, that was even in my notes. Usually those are not in my notes. <laughs> so we put together a serving form uh, because we thought it would be helpful. If you go to the website on the, very, on the homepage, uh, there's a serving form. And if you would like to see all the different areas, um, opportunities uh, to serve in this body, to be able to build this body up, um, so that we, we sound better together uh, and to bring glory to God. Go to this form and, uh, and just fill it out. Check all the boxes. And then somebody that oversees that ministry will get back to you. Um, and just by, by checking it doesn't mean that you're committed. Um, but it just, just look at those and see where you might be interested and, um, and then check it. And we'd be grateful if you would, you would uh, explore that. So whether or not you're in vocational ministry or missions uh, as a full-time job or even a part-time job, the call to leverage your life for the glory of God and the good of others in this church remains. The pressing question isn't about a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, but how does God want to pour out his grace to others through you by properly stewarding the grace gifts that he has given you? I want to close with this from Sinclair Ferguson. Serving is not a matter of others recognizing your gifts. Serving is a matter of us recognizing others' needs. Serving is not a matter of doing things for others at our own convenience. Serving is a matter of us helping others when they are inconvenienced. Serving is not a matter of feeling we have special gifts. Serving is a matter of seeing that others have special needs. Serving is not an optional extra for a member of the church. Serving is written into the definition of being a member of the church. And I added these two. Serving is not primarily for our good. Serving is for God's glory and the good of others. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you that, um, that you are such a good God, and you give us such good gifts, even the gifts of laughter. And, um, Lord, thank you that, um, Lord Jesus, that, that you came to build your church by saving one person at a time by grace, through faith, in Christ. And God, I thank you that, um, that you've given us a design, that you haven't left us guessing as to um, how we should organize this church. Yes, you give us a lot of freedom and the type of ministries and whatnot, but God, we know and we embrace together that you've given um, each one, each part, a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit to be used, to be used, to be utilized for the good of others and for your glory, praise, and honor. So God, I pray that we would uh, increasingly be a church that is um, not glorifying our individual gifts, but God, glorifying you in the use of our individual gifts. We love you. We thank you that you love us. 
and that you've given us this wonderful church body to be a part of. We pray all these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's people said.